Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where three Trek fans step into the Las Vegas arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that the 57-year mission had to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton, kicking things off by asking you your favorite color, Cameron. (laughs) Green. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) And we are joined on the stage... By a friend of the show who's been on a few times, and it's become an annual event for him to come on and help us break down the convention, Mr. Scott Hardy of the Spy Hearts Podcast. Thanks for having me back, gents. I am not here to talk about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, yes, you could face major fines uh, for doing that, Scott. So, mm. um, so of course, we're covering STLV. We knew going in this is going to be the weirdest year ever because, of course, we have the writer's strike in Hollywood concurrent with the actor's strike in Hollywood. So we're going to a Star Trek convention where um, talking about Star Trek was banned for, uh, what, like 80% of all of the panelists that were here. Um, this was incredibly strange in that we had the organizers as well as moderators given, what, uh, three weeks to figure this out, fellas. And from what I gather, the organizers told the moderators, just don't talk about Star Trek. (laughs) And that was the only difference that we had here. I thought this was going to be more of an opportunity where we could, I don't know, play around with the format of a typical convention a little bit. And I think there were other problems in that. um, It seemed a lot of the actors just did not know what the rules were. We had a lot of folks just blatantly, you know, talking about Star Trek as if it's no big deal. We had some folks speaking in code, like this show, that show, my character, that character, rather than saying the names. Um, And then (laughs) if somebody would accidentally say the word, oh, I don't know, Tuvix, uh, we would have um, like uh, screaming matches unfold uh, on stage about uh, uh, what a violation that is of strike rules. It was extremely awkward, a little messy, um, one to remember. Um, I think they could have done some very easy things to improve it, but overall, um, I, I, I guess it's one for the books at this point. Guys, what, what was your broad takeaway? And then we can kind of dive into the details. We'll go to, we'll go to uh, Cam first here. Well, as you said, this was the strangest convention I think we'll probably ever attend. Um, I, like you, really thought, even though they only had three weeks notice, really three or four weeks before they realized they couldn't talk about Star Trek at the Star Trek convention... I really did think like, okay, they are going to come up with some really fun ideas and, for example, like game show formats or things like that where we could get to know the actors in a fun way and people would walk out being like, what? Like, that was a blast. I had so much fun watching the cast laugh on stage, play like a game or something like that. Uh, no, that that really wasn't the case. I was genuinely shocked at that so many of the panels were people basically coming up and saying like, what's your inspiration in life? And repeating that at almost every single panel. So, like, there was, like, moments that I thought were brilliant. And, you know, one of them, for example, in the Discovery panel was Sonequa Martin-Green, Mary Wiseman, and Doug Jones. Uh, someone came up to the mic and asked, what's your weird talent that no one knows? And suddenly it was like everyone just burst to life. And you had um, Mary Wiseman beatboxing. You had Doug Jones wrapping his leg around his neck. 
and you had Sonico Martin-Green, who apparently has double-jointed arms, which, who knew, like, turning and, like, bending them around to look really distorted. And, like, everyone was laughing. That's the kind of stuff I was hoping more from. But it, this convention, as weird as it was, it did have those moments throughout. And even some of the, um, I don't know, quote-unquote rule-breaking, perhaps, that led to some highlights as well. It was a weird con, but it wasn't... I didn't feel like I walked out unhappy with the decision to attend. What about you, Scott? So what, what's your broad takeaway from this? I'm going to be the voice of dissent between the three of us here. I'm looking at this more holistically. I think we should be counting our blessings a little bit that this convention actually occurred. Or, or that most of the people that were advertised actually appeared. Because I could see many of them in a different parallel universe or a multiverse, that seems to be the thing now, where everyone just didn't want to hedge their bets. They all pulled out and we ended up with directors and writers at the STLV instead of all the actors. Now, we did get to see basically almost everyone that was advertised. A couple of people pulled out, like Kate Mulgrew and Jack Quaid, for various reasons. But I think on like an overall picture, I'm more just glad it happened. Yes, it was weird, but I've been coming to this for 11 years now. I think I've heard most of the stories when it comes to Star Trek, so I'm kind of open to hearing other things. I just wish the questions, and I'll agree with you both here, I wish the questions that were being given by the moderators and by the people attending were just better. Uh, Scott, if it was nothing but writers and directors uh, for this convention, that would have been something that I would have written home about. Like, uh, for a lot of me, uh, the highlights were some of the behind-the-scenes sorts of panels. Uh, We had a panel with uh, Dave Blass. He's a production designer for Star Trek Picard Seasons 2 and 3. He discussed, you know, designing the ships of that era. We're talking the Titan, the Elios, the Shrike. Uh, Scott and I had a lot of fun there, I'd say. And then a few days later, we got to have another panel dedicated to him and his team discussing uh, rebuilding the Enterprise D once again. I mean, for me, those are kind of highlights that I'm getting versus, you know, and and I I don't want to pick on... Any of the moderators specifically, uh, people can do the math if they've got uh, <laughs> the schedule or what have you. But um, like I, I, I was mentioning it up at the top, you know, one of the opening questions was, "What's your favorite color?" to the panelists, and, and there, there is a reason for that. You know, um, it was a very diverse panel. Um, some folks uh, would not necessarily fall into uh, he, him, uh, she, her, it was, um, some they, thems. And so the moderator wanted to ensure that everybody's able to share their pronouns, but it, um, it, it, that's not how you start a panel off. Like what's your favorite color? And I would not say that that particular moderator, um, was able to guide us towards, uh, the most interesting questions for me. It was actually the, um, the, the attendees coming up to this very diverse panel and, and just asking them about representation in media. Like, that was actually something that I thought was far more interesting going on that a lot of these folks uh, from the audience was able to gather. I was just, I'm genuinely shocked by how ill-prepared so many of the moderators were. It just, their marching orders were, don't talk about Star Trek. And that was about it. And I'm kind of shocked that that's what we got here. It was weird to keep hearing the, the refrain of, I don't think we can talk about this. Right. As in, I don't think. Like, they aren't sure. They're not saying... Stop talking about this. This is going to get us in trouble. It was a lot of like, I think we might get in trouble if we say this. So yeah, like there was a real uncertainty. And even like, um, you know, like um, they brought out like Michelle Hurd to oversee um, a panel, the Discovery panel I just mentioned, which had highlights actually. It was a pretty fun panel overall. But like she came out and it was like just very clear, like 
I'm moderating this, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And to me, it's like, that's not really fair to her. Like, there should be a kind of a set like, okay, here's this panel, here's some ideas, head out there and have fun. But it, it felt like almost kind of like disorganized. And I'm not really sure why. And her opening question was, where are you from? And yeah. I, I'm sorry, as a kind of like an icebreaker, if it's information I can find at the top of an internet movie database or Wikipedia page, it's not the best opening question. Um, the other issue I think going on was that, uh, okay, we totally understand that the uh, the writer strike and the actor strike is very important for their uh, industry, of course. You know, I understand where they're coming from. Uh, so if you're sitting there throughout the entire convention and the majority of the panelists are bringing it up again and again and again, uh, it does grow stale over the course of a four-day convention. And, like, they're bringing up the same points uh, with regards to artificial intelligence, uh, how involving uh, the industry is going to be with regards to pay, um, fair pay. Totally things I understand. But by day four, I'm like, yes, I've heard all those beats before. That said, um, Michelle Hurd, uh, who's part of one of the uh, negotiating com committees, um, she gave a very impassioned, very informed uh, you know, kind of speech almost, soliloquy about why this was so important. To me, that was like just, uh, it was wonderful to see her up on stage. Mm -hmm. But then if you have some other folks that um, are maybe not nearly as great as uh, kind of outlining why this is important, it, it just, it grew stale for me uh, over the course of four days from uh, Thursday to Sunday. It felt kind of strange to constantly throw that to each actor. Like... Michelle Hurd was an amazing spokesperson for that one. And I mean, she gave the best kind of breakdown as to exactly what the issues were. That should have been like up front. I mean, like we can roll on from there. Um, like we got to a point where I started like mentally grading and ranking the breakdowns of the strike because I kept hearing it so many times. Anson Mountain was actually also very good in that he like broke it down into almost like a, you know, a guy walks into a bar joke. And the way he was able to get across what it all meant and just the absurdity of the uh, the studios versus the actors. Like, he got it across in a way that I think the audience found involving. But a lot of the time, you just felt like people were shutting down. And Tyler, you know, you and I, and actually Scott as well, we are people that keep an eye on the film industry. We kind of follow what's going on. A lot of the people in the room don't. And so when they're yeah. kind of hearing the same thing over and over, they're kind of like, huh? Like, uh, okay. Um, a lot of the attendees did not even realize that there was a strike going on. A lot of folks were going on the Facebook pages or communicating in the app uh, run by the organizers. And they walk in here and they're shocked to find out, you know, on uh, you know Thursday or Friday, whenever they arrive, that, wait, you're not allowed to talk about Star Trek here. Uh, I also need to ask this. And look, I, I'm not part of any sort of uh, union. Um, this is actually uh, something I have to... You know, be careful about talking about because I, I do cover this industry for my own work uh, as a journalist, though. Um, what did speaking in code accomplish here with regards to any sort of, like, negotiation leverage that the actors' union might have over the studios? You know, if you're—and by speaking in code, I say that the actors would say, you know that sci-fi show with my sci-fi character? And, and then just— tell the story like it, it didn't accomplish anything at all and I, I i just any leverage that they thought would be lost um by talking about their shows i just i, I don't know if that's actually something more than just arbitrary with regards to a, a convention of this sort. i think it's completely different if you have a studio that wants to um, pay the entire cast of avengers to go to comic-con 
and actively promote your movie that's about to come out. And one panelist, uh, Greg Grunberg, um, he was happily discussing everything he had done in his career. He played uh, Finnegan in uh, Star Trek Beyond. He also did the voice of uh, Kirk's father in uh, Star Trek 2009. He was happily talking about it, but he kept saying, I'm not promoting anything. I'm not promoting anything. And then he would just go ahead and talk about it. Um, his interpretation of the rules were very different than what we saw at the um, Garrett Wong, Tim Russ, Robert Batran um, panel moderated by Chase Masterson. Um, Scott, maybe describe that panel a little bit for us here. Uh, chaos on the stage, I suppose, is the headline for that one. It, it was interesting because I think there was reckless abandon from one uh, Robbie Beltran when it comes to the strike rules. I think at one point he referred to uh, what was going on. As, uh, he said something along the lines of, is this America or are we in the USSR? Uh, <laughs> or, or the police were going to come and knock on his door and take him away if he mentioned, you know, Star Trek Voyager or, you know, Chakotay, which I think the crowd were you know, in rapturous applause of mostly. But, you know, I, I, and if you were to ask me a highlight of the convention, I think that panel would certainly be one of them because it felt like a normal year. But I can understand some people's frustrations with it simultaneously. What I enjoyed most about that was perhaps the meltdown of the the host. Yeah, uh, so Chase Masterson, who played Lita on Deep Space Nine, she was moderating that panel. And um, she was, you know, okay, so earlier in the day, we had Zach Quinto appear on stage. And I think once there was a little bit of opening in which Zach Quinto was happy to talk about my character... And then he would also just frequently slip in the words Star Trek and Spock. Yeah. And uh, moderator Scott Matz was happily to uh, take that opening and go with it. If Zach Quinto felt comfortable doing that, let's go with that. Um, Chase Masterson would let no such quarter uh, <laughs> in this situation here. And so every time, you know, maybe the word uh, Tuvix was uttered, like you would have the moderator just um, try to wet blanket the entire presentation there. And it was it was pretty grueling. Um, although I will say it was entertaining to watch as Beltran made uh, Masterson increasingly visibly upset. Um, not that I'm taking any delight in somebody being upset, but I think um, she wasn't necessarily handling um, moderating duties in the way that you're supposed to, you know. And uh, look, if she feels somebody is breaking the rules, part of her union, okay, um, observe that. Um narc on him if you want later on or something like that but i don't think it was her job as moderator to um like just at some point she had like a uh, some sort of red alert button and she would just start blaring it over the microphone or something like that <laughs> or maybe somebody at the soundboard um from the organizers were do- doing that it was just like i i, I kind of got like yikes vibes uh throughout the what had to be the most entertaining uh panel that we got to observe uh, over the course of this week and this was on this sunday yeah and like when you go to the convention, what you're hoping for are those panels with like the explosive laughter moments, like the moments where something crazy happens or someone says something funny and the entire audience just erupts. There was not a lot of moments like that over these four days of convention. And that panel brought them. And I can feel for Chase Masterson if she felt uncomfortable up there, like that's not something you want anyone to feel on stage. But like the creation, you know, overlords, Adam Malin and various others are in the room. They are at the soundboard. I think if there had been a genuine concern that this was going too far, someone would have stepped in. Adam would, would have gone over the PA system. Something would have happened to put a stop to this. And the fact that they didn't, yeah, you kind of got to roll with it. And the fact was, like, we had on 
Friday night, there was a paid panel um, hosted by Terry Metalis with the TNG reunion cast. And um, no Patrick Stewart, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but we did get Denise Crosby and John Delancey there. Uh, no Will Wheaton either. That's right. Yes. Um, and I mean, it was it was an odd panel in that like they went in with the general sense of we can't talk about Star Trek, but Terry Metalis was like, no, no, you can, right? You can. And so uh, various TNG actors would start to talk about season three of Picard and talk about their character journeys and bits like that. Marina Sirtis took aim at Terry Metalis for having Troy stuck at home with the kid while Riker was off having adventures. Uh, Metalis did not have a heck of a comeback to that. Uh, There really wasn't a comeback whatsoever. (laughs) It it was awkward and fun to watch, you know. Yeah. She brought up a good point. (laughs) But it was also very clear that Gates McFadden was not initially particularly happy that this was happening either. Like, no one was on the same page. And I think that was kind of a general trend of the convention. So when you had that panel, going back to the Masterson one, it really felt like Beltran is just going off the chain, trying to get a big response out of the crowd. Garrett Wong and Tim Russ are long-term buddies of his. Tim Russ is not not a man, I would say, who's known for his like infectious comedic stylings. He was dying of laughter. And because of that, I was dying of laughter. Yeah. Like To see Tim Russ break was just joyful. And Garrett Wong was laughing. And it just felt like those three were at least in terms of the comedy they were trying to create on stage on the same page. And Chase Masterson just wasn't. I, I would just say, I think what was maybe getting me to laugh in those situations is the taboo breaking of it all. Because we'd been sort of, you know, trained by at least you know Friday night to you know, not mention that TV show or that thing in space or that, you know, that prize at center. And, you know, them breaking the rules would give us little nuggets of like fun. And by the end of that Beltran panel on Sunday, just having that full on break of those rules, it was like a catharsis for a lot of people in the crowd. But the inconsistency, I think Cam mentions just there, is something that really bugged me about all this because it really, I, I'd rather they either gone all in on not talking about it or just been lax or, you know, moderately lax throughout the whole thing. But again, like, what's the difference between speaking in code and just saying Star Trek Voyager? Like, mm-hmm. what did that accomplish saying, you know, Garrett Wong is saying that show versus Robert Beltran saying Star Trek Voyager? Like, it, 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 in, in the big um, scheme of things with negotiations with the studios, <laughs> makes no difference whatsoever. Now, you can make the argument like, oh, well, what if every single actor, I think, what, there's 250,000 of them that are part of the SAG union, uh, the Screen Actors Guild, I should say. So what if everybody uh, was so loosey-goosey? I would say a Star Trek convention um, is a very different animal, and I also think it's a very different animal when you are looking at uh, so much of the library um, pre-2017 that I don't think, um, you know, uh, Anthony Montgomery talking about, um, you know, being Mayweather is necessarily going to boost the studio revenues versus you have maybe Doug Jones and Sneakwa Martin-Green um, actively talking and, and promoting season five of Discovery. I think those are two different beasts right there. So it's just, and, and nobody was on the same page. Not one single person was on the same page throughout the convention. And like leading into the convention, we saw everybody talking on Twitter. It was very clear that the rules were not uh, really uh, imbued upon the uh, SAG members either. Like, nobody knew what was going on. Um, that made for a very memorable panel, you know. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I definitely enjoyed the Voyager panel, but you could have other panels. Like, uh, I, I just mentioned Anthony Montgomery. He was there with uh, Dominic Keating, Connor Trenier. All they did, they didn't need to talk about Enterprise. They just goofed off 
for like 45 minutes. I had a ball just like watching uh, those uh, three gents just, uh, you know, take the piss out of each other for 45 minutes. Like that was great. You can do stuff like that. And I don't even know who the moderator, do you guys recall who the moderator was for that Enterprise one? Like you don't even need moderators for some of these uh, panels that are going on. No, I think actually moderators could sometimes drag it down. Um, like I would have been very curious what that um, Voyager panel with Beltran and Wong and Russ would have been without a moderator, right? Like it's just like these three know each other so well, like just let them roll. And it's kind of like the the Metallus TNG one I think worked out fine, but we've seen in the past TNG, you know, when you put that cast together, you don't need a moderator at all. Yeah, exactly. And so I don't know, it, it, it was a... Uh... Look, uh, I saw it at a fun convention. It, it, it was a weird one, but um, I kind of wish that at least going in, there was some sort of consistency that people cared about. Uh, but honestly, then you put in like somebody like Beltran, who clearly doesn't care about um, SAG rules. And so what do you do in those situations where it's kind of explosive? You know, um, is he really going to get fined? Is, are the uh, guild leadership going to hunt him down and issue... This man who hasn't been on television since 2011, uh, hefty fines for saying the words Star Trek Voyager at a Star Trek convention? Like, probably not. You know, there's been more high-profile actors perhaps speaking out against some of the uh, the union strike rules at this point that I don't think uh, uh, Robert Beltran is top of the, uh, the wanted list. How dare you? Well, yeah. <laughs> Although we did walk by him at the uh, Starbucks immediately after the panel. He looked like he was being held hostage by all the fans <laughs> surrounding him at that point. Well, when we were um, coming down on the elevator at a different point, uh, there was two people on there, two people who'd attended the convention, and they were like, did you see the Beltran panel? Yes. And that was their favorite panel of the whole weekend. Yes. So it's just, I don't know. Like, uh, th- that's obviously the one that's going to stick in our heads. I, I, I'm trying to, like, articulate, like, why it was like for listeners who weren't there but it was is clearly like Robert Bertrand just did not give enough about any of these strike rules but I don't know Scott do you, do you have kind of an idea why this would have been maybe one more memorable and we, we can kind of give more precise reasons why well I think it was again just breaking of the taboo we have been trained by that point to not talk about it and yeah. this was just the release of that Star Trek energy if you will of, of being able to actually speak about the thing that we've all convened in Las Vegas Nevada to actually talk about and celebrate and one thing I will just add, and your listeners will know from last year when we spoke about the convention, one of my gripes was it wasn't very inviting for newbies mm. and first timers. And I think this is even worse in that respect. <laughs> and there was a lot of newbies. At one point, yeah. they said, raise your hand if this is your first Star Trek, you know, Las Vegas experience. And a massive percentage of the audience in attendance raised their hands. I can't. I mean, I said before, and, and Cam, I think your score is the same entirely. You're one less than the two of us. But I've attended this 11 times. I'm not sure I would have the score of 11 if my first convention had been about that show I can't mention with those crew I can't say the names of. Like, it, it, it I mean, yes, the, the, the vendors room would still be there. The autographs, the photo ops would still be there. But you come to see the stars talk about Star Trek. Did you fellas have any experience where you went to get an autograph and maybe you let the word Star Trek slip and the actor or actress was like, you you must not utter those words in front of me. Because we did have like guests or I should say attendees go up to the mics during the Q&A sessions and some moderators would like, at, like really drive into them uh, like 
attendee don't even say the word Star Trek, even if you're setting up a question that has to do with your favorite um, uh, activist, which was one of the questions um, that somebody <laughs> asked the uh, the guests there. Personally speaking, I did a number of autographs and photo ops over the course of this convention. I actually did not mention Star Trek to any of them. Yeah. Uh, I think the closest we got, um, Scott was there for this one, was we were doing a photo op with Jess Bush and Terry Farrell uh, <laughs> kind of butted in. <laughs> it was kind of a uh, awkward moment for Scott and I as we just kind of were uh, ignored. <laughs> but Terry Farrell was just complimenting her on um, Jess Bush on her performance in the pilot of Strange New Worlds and saying how much she enjoyed the performance. And when we finished our photo op, I just turned to Jess Bush and said, I second, you know, Terry Farrell's sentiments. And she said, thank you. But that was as much as it got, really. I would just talk to them about their so day. So wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Terry Farrell was breaking the rules with <laughs> Jess Bush by complimenting her on that sci-fi series. Tyler, I got to go. Can we pause this? I need to call the union on <laughs> Terry Farrell at this very moment. I know, I know. Yeah. It's just kind of a weird situation here. Um but I don't know there's a, there's a lot of fun stuff that went down. You and I, we got a photo with Todd Stashwick, Cam. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it was one of those typical photo situations like, hey, how's it going? Good. Thank you. We got our photo with him, you know. Um, yeah. at, you know, and uh, I don't know, there's, there's other. Okay, so the beyond the behind the scenes stuff, there was kind of a, 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 a one particular panel where you can bring on like a reality TV star with a very tangential um connection to star trek you know with uh, brian quinn from uh, the impractical jokers uh, hidden camera show and uh he had a, a very small part in season two of picard and um uh brian quinn can you you would kind of describe him as a uh, a bit of a a blue collar kind of rough talking sort of uh comedic presence yeah and him recounting how um he steps into the scene in season two of picard at Guinan's bar in which he's in front of Patrick Stewart and the actress playing Guinan is talking about social justice issues and she's in tears and Brian Quinn's thinking to himself, um, I think they cast me in the wrong role. Like, I do not belong in this scene right now. Which, like, that, that cracked me up. But, again, this is a reality TV show um, sort of star. He can get get away with talking about Star Trek. And so he and Terry Metalis, um, they're friends. They just talked about uh, you know, Star Trek um, as many questions came at them about that. But there's a lot of impractical jokers sorts of questions as well so it was interesting how you could kind of bring in some folks that were only tangentially connected to star trek and kind of you know like wedge them into this uh convention here notably uh brian quinn was a last minute addition to the convention we didn't even know about him being here until we were in las vegas in a cab uh or an uber i suppose and so like that's what I think like creation should have been looking a little more towards when they realized that they couldn't have the actors necessarily talk about Star Trek was more people, you know, who were personalities who could talk about Star Trek in some way. So Brian Quinn was able to talk about his Picard experience as well as, as Tyler said, in Practical Jokers. Um, I was genuinely surprised they didn't try to lock down more Star Trek directors or behind the scenes people to take part in panels just because that's great if the actors can come on stage and just talk about themselves and we can get some fun stories here and there that aren't, you know, franchise related. But I would have thought they would have wanted to have a few panels on the main stage that could specifically talk about Star Trek for an hour. Well, we've had like previous years, and I don't think the licensing would work out now, but we would have previously, uh, previously saw like episodes would be screened 
And then you'd have like the behind the scenes people like uh, Michael and Denise Okuda, who are involved with the art department uh, as well back in the TNG Deep Space Nine era. They'd break down how uh, Trials and Tribulations was one of the most challenging episodes to create. Um, I bring up the licensing stuff. We, we did have film screenings. Uh, one was Galaxy Quest uh, and then the other was Star Trek IV. Um, so I guess they can like, I don't know, like, how do you... How do you kind of uh, manage those threads there without anybody having to pay exorbitant costs to screen an episode of Star Trek? I'm not sure. I'm not really sure because, yeah, like in the past we had the episode or the, the convention where they screened the episode, The Outrageous Okona. And we had, um, what's the name of the comedian? Joe Piscopo uh, came out and talked about <laughs> making that episode. Like that's the kind of crazy stuff I really enjoy. And as you said, like I would have enjoyed like the Trials and Tribulations doing an episode that had maybe like a more technically difficult challenge that they had to pull off and then bringing out whether it's the Akudas or someone else involved in you know the effects the production design something like that breaking down that episode I just don't know they only had I gotta know three weeks to a month to figure this out but it still feels like this kind of thing you could have figured out like they could have this is an opportunity for creation entertainment who runs this convention to get creative um <laughs> The word creation and creative, they're kind of connected there. Uh, <laughs> it seems to have been lost on them. So, look, we can pick on them. Um, I still enjoyed my time at the convention. Don't regret uh, spending money uh, at all. Um, it was just, it was a weird one, though. But, um, I don't know, Scott, uh, are, are there fun panels like that kind of jumped out to you? Informative ones, you know? Um, or, you know what? <laughs> Let me ask you this. What did you think of the Voyager documentary panel? I wasn't there. <laughs> I was, though, Tyler. Have you, I can't uh, tell you guys apart. Yeah, after this many days, you can't tell us <laughs> we're, apart. We're day eight or nine in Vegas at this point. It's just like, <laughs> you all blur together. <laughs> I was speaking in a British accent the whole time, so that does make sense how you'd confuse us. Mm. Sure enough. Okay. <laughs> what, what was your takeaway from um, the Voyager <laughs> documentary panel, which uh, oh, 45 minutes long? Well, I, yeah, I am a backer of the Voyager documentary um, Blu-ray that I will be receiving in the mail at some point in the future. In the future, that's the key words there. So, I really was kind of excited about this panel because, again, it doesn't fall under the the SAG rules, so they could talk about Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Um, they could screen some footage, perhaps, of the documentary, maybe a clip of an interview, something like that. Mm -hmm. No, they didn't really do any of that sort of thing. Uh, the most sort of insights we got were we had the editor there. Um to talk about where he is in the process and that he is giving himself a deadline of next spring. Yeah. So that's nice that he gave himself a deadline, but it didn't really tell me anything that was particularly insightful. Like even like um, someone asked, well, if you're making a documentary, you want to have a question you're answering. And what's the question of the Voyager documentary? Well, the he, question is, Cam? The question is, What's the legacy of Star Trek Voyager? And I'm like, well, I mean, look, with this type of thing, that's that's probably fine. And he said, you know, everyone interpreted it that differently. So I am looking forward to seeing perhaps how Robert Beltran interprets that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> actually, can I just interrupt? Yeah. We forgot to bring up his comments about Brandon Braga. Oh, that was amazing. Oh. Go for it. Well, like uh, somebody's just asking about, uh, you know, the, the comments have been made about uh Garrett Wong had been on his Delta Flyers podcast discussing how maybe not every day Beltran had uh, memorized his lines uh, on Star Trek Voyager, whereas he could recite Shakespeare lines just like that. And he made a comment, well, I don't know, Brandon Braga was a head writer of Star Trek Voyager. 
he's not Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like, and I remember we were like, ooh. You know, there are other um, uh, uh, cutting comments that uh, I, I think Brandon Brago had uh, said to Beltrand, you know, like, uh, you know, you, you, you're memorizing all these Shakespeare lines. Uh, you need to do this for our show as well. It's like, well, once you can write like Shakespeare, I'll be sure to do that. And just like, like that's what made him entertaining, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, go on, uh, Voyager. Like uh, the, the, we did find out some information, Cam. I, I guess about uh, the documentary. They had plans to get Garrett Wong on the studio to film some fun stuff before the actor strike, and we don't know what that fun stuff was. I think it was going to be all scored to the Benny Hill score. Right. I think they said gotcha. that. It was just going to be him in fast motion, zipping around the lot. That's just the music going on in Scott's brain uh, every <laughs> every moment of the day. Well, we, we are interchangeable, Cam and I, so I guess that makes sense that he mentioned it and I'm the one humming exactly. it to myself. Yeah. I, I could, yes, and after this panel, there is another panel I think that is worth mentioning that uh, did have some good information on it, which was the Prodigy panel mm. on the Saturday where you did get a, a screening of a trailer uh, there are clips of that online now, I believe, uh, with some more information about the process of getting season two somewhere. Apparently, it's 95% likely to be landing somewhere soon. So hopefully we get to see season two. But there are some bits in that trailer. We find out that um, the Doctor is returning in that season. And there is a USS Voyager A that our intrepid prodigians will be aboard alongside Admiral Janeway. So, yeah, there's some information there from the Hagemans and crew. And they were also very confident that uh, Star Trek Prodigy, despite being taken off Paramount Plus and essentially being canceled on that streaming service, that uh, the studio, which is CBS, that this studio will find another home for that. And I believe we found out that they plan to have all of season two finished by I think Christmas time was I think about uh, the estimate that they had there. So if they're out there shopping the Star Trek brand to another streaming platform and they're going to be able to sell both seasons, 40 episodes altogether, I think that even leaves open the door for them to strike a deal with whoever wants to platform this moving forward, whether it be a uh, an Amazon, a Netflix, or uh, quite frankly, even a Tubi. Like, like they're kind of a joke platform. Uh, like years ago, but they're actually making a lot of strides right now by purchasing a lot of um, material, or I should say, licensing a lot of material on uh, a lot of these bigger platforms and just inserting ads into it. So Tubi is actually trying to make a name for itself. But the thing is, is like. I don't think it's impossible that they land themselves uh, an order for a third season as part of, you know, getting these uh, first 40 episodes onto a new platform too. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the potential for Prodigy. Um, also, there's a lot of fans of Prodigy here. Like, a lot there of people were. doing, like, cosplay for Prodigy too, which is very delightful to see. And you mentioned that third season that they would like to get for Prodigy. And one of the, the co-showrunners of Prodigy mentioned that his dream is to get a third season and then set up a series of animated movies going forward where you would have, I guess, standalone prodigy movies and maybe the way they're doing the Section 31 film, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of like a future of being able to watch prodigy, I don't know. He seemed to infer on the big screen. I don't know how likely that would be. I think it would be more streaming movies, but I appreciate his ambition. I, I, I can't imagine Star Trek Prodigy getting a uh, theatrical push uh, in this particular era but as you say Cam appreciate the ambition there but um, yeah, it was very exciting even having like the uh, the composer 
for Star Trek Prodigy up on stage and just discussing like um, what it means to her uh, to you know be composing the score for Star Trek now and uh, it's an amazing score and it's a very cinematic show I, I know it's maybe kind of uh, marketed as a kids show um, it's some of my favorite Star Trek I've ever seen and it doesn't feel like it's for three-year-olds like I think probably I, I i call it like a family show more than like a kid's show yeah uh, and i don't know like i i'm so glad that they are this confident that they will be finding a home for season two and um for what we saw season two looks amazing i can't wait well i have a question for both of you which everyone feels like answering um why did this convention pretty much ignore star trek prodigy until it was basically um flatlining like, uh, why do we not get much Star Trek Prodigy guests uh, booked ahead of time? Or maybe uh, this convention, as in uh, the Creation STLV thing, maybe last year we didn't get so much uh, Prodigy. We got almost nothing last year. We just had, I believe, John Noble, who voices um, the Diviner, showed up. And I somewhat suspect they only booked him because of his Lord of the Rings ties. It was like a celeb they could get, uh, you know, for a panel. We, to this to this point, have never seen a main prodigy voice actor at a convention. And this year, they finally brought the showrunners and some of the creative team behind the show. Like, why was this not a thing building up to prodigy, like helping promote it, making it a bigger, a bigger deal? Well, I can say this. I don't think the, uh, the studio or the streamer, uh, th this is not an official convention. So in terms of promotion, I think they're agnostic towards that. I think they were also looking at the metrics, um, and I'm talking about the studio in this case, uh, Paramount, or I, I should say the streamer. Um, I suspect that this was not getting very many views. Like, people weren't watching the show that much, and that's why they were kind of indifferent. And I suspect, um, look, the uh, Creation Entertainment, if they're booking um, actors, um, are the... If it's a show that's not getting watched, if it's a show that did get canceled, um, and there's no notable names, like John Noble was the most notable uh, booking, but of the main cast, because there's like, you know, like other characters like on the show that were bigger names, yeah, like Kate Mulgrew's on the show, for instance, you know, mm -hmm. I just, I don't know if Creation thinks that there's that much demand for, you know, just the, the, the people that play the uh, you know, say Dal, uh, for instance, you know, so that's my best guess. What are Scott's thoughts? I wish I could add anything to that, Tyler, but I think you uh, drove my point home. I mean, yes, we did have Kate Mulgrew on the list at one point, so that would have been one of the, yeah. you know, the, the leads of the show. I but... can say nothing about this show, although it is animated. She could talk about it, I think. Yeah, but like the thing is, um, we didn't have any of the folks that could have talked about animation, any of the actors that could have talked about animation actually talking about animation because um, there is a carve out for within this strike uh, the actor strike to do voice work for animation um, you could uh, theoretically talk about your work as well so that that was a little strange unless I missed a panel that they did talk about it I don't believe so but I will also add that you know Kate Mulgrew pulled out of this convention citing a solidarity with her SAG brethren and as such, I don't think she would have even spoken about Prodigy had she right. attended. Okay. Whereas the Tani Newsom, she did not talk about Lord Dex, though, specifically, right? No, she did. Um, vaguely? Actually, no, Cam, didn't you say that she was at one point just doing, like, stand-up comedy about, like, Star Trek The Next Generation? I, I missed that panel myself. Yeah, so, like, I don't think she talked too much about details of Lower Decks or the crossover episode, other than kind of, like, a brief acknowledgement of it. Um, but yeah, she did do like a uh, brief kind of improv comedy spot 
riffing on Deanna Troy's wardrobe and saying, but I think that's how she got the job. And she was kind of repeating this kind of bit about uh, Deanna Troy's, um, I can't remember, I think ballroom gown outfits or something. Okay. And then Tony Newsom, uh, so I was there for the first, I think, like 10 minutes of that panel, and Tony Newsom said right off the bat, uh, yeah, I am part of the WGA, the, the Writers Guild. Uh, I'm on the writing staff for Starfleet Academy. Feel free to ask me questions about Starfleet Academy. Um, I left. So how many um, how many dozens of questions, uh, Scott and Cam, did uh, she get about Starfleet Academy? I think she's still answering them in the auditorium yeah, right now. We yeah. should probably get back down there, actually. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird in that, like, even though there was this hunger for people to talk about Star Trek on stage, when you had, like, Tony Newsom on stage saying, hey, I'll talk about, you know, this uh, this show that I'm working on, people are like, who's the most inspiring role model you've had in your life? Yeah. What book have you been reading recently? Yeah, yeah. What was your favorite? Yeah, childhood book and things like that. Yeah, There's a <laughs> lot of book questions. People really want to know what books they read as children and what books they're reading right now. It'd be great if their actors like, me no read, what, that? <laughs> <laughs> a Packlid panel. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been fun. But, I mean, we're also discussing, like, how come, like, we don't get some sort of, um, like, improv sort of gala. We were discussing that last night. Like, that'd be great if you can have, like, uh, a Todd Stashwick who has an improv background, a Tawny Newsome. There's other folks with improv backgrounds that uh, would be, like, a hoot to, you know, headline one of the uh, Saturday night galas, which we kind of sort of missed, I I suppose. Like, we were unsure of what it was going to be. Um, It was Greg Grunberg and his band, uh, The Action Figures, and we were getting updates from some friends who went, and it sounded pretty cool. And then uh, we were on our way to the Galaxy Quest. Oh, no, we were on our way to the Roddenberry's Dance Party. That is the name of the band, the house band. And uh, the doors to the main auditorium were open, so I think we just stood there and um, stole the final song from a viewing uh, uh, standpoint. And uh, we, we got to see Todd Stashwick and uh, a lot of people perform... Um, uh, Sail Away uh, by Styx, uh, a, a nice cover there. And uh, Stott, uh, Todd Stashwick has a very distinct singing voice, which is uh, interesting uh, to find out. It's like a songbird. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was early Captain Shaw iterations. They just had to cut out uh, him singing uh, in, in the mess hall there. Yeah, this was the first year we didn't attend the gala. Uh, I've gone to everyone since I started going. But we've reached a point now with this paid panel thing you know, we paid for the TNG reunion, which was $40 US, and the concert was 65 US, and they were advertising it as Greg Grunberg and Scott Grimes. Uh, Scott Grimes, who was here with his Orville cast. Um, we didn't attend that panel, any of us, but uh, I'm sure it was great. Uh, we had a friend, Kim, who attended and said she had a great time, and it was very funny. So um, we're just not big Orville fans. But yeah, Scott Despite Grimes... Despite the fact that we did the Ortonville report for uh, all of season one of the Orville camp. <laughs> you did. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. You just sat there nodding your head as Tyler would go on and yet another one of his 12-minute soliloquies. So, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, like when we heard it was a Scott Grimes, Greg Grunberg rock band on stage for $65 US, <laughs> it was hard to justify because, you know, in Canadian dollars, that's close to $100 and there's many a concerts back in Canada I've talked myself out of because they were about $100. Had, okay. Uh, I think had we known that there was going to be a strike, we probably would not have purchased the TNG panel tickets. Do you think we would have put that money towards going to the gala instead? Or is it still like, I don't know what a Greg Grunberg, you know, Scott Grimes, dad rock cover band's going to be like? I th- what do you think, Scott? 
I mean, if you're asking me, like, in retrospect, did I make the right choice? I think I'm still glad I went to the TNG panel, mostly because I think there's probably a video online of that entire live concert that I could watch if I wanted to hear Isa Briona sing. I could do that. Um, I've heard her sing before, and I think I've had my fill, personally speaking. Uh, I'm sure it was a, a lovely thing. Another friend of the show, uh, Johnny Mancuso, spoke to me after and said it was the best Saturday Night Gala he's ever been to, and he's been coming for 20 years. Mm. So... You know, it swings and roundabouts, you know, different strokes for different folks. But I think of the two, I'm still glad I got to see Terry and the crew. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was thinking kind of like, had we not known what the TNG panel is going to be like? Like, mm. let's say a strike happened. We bought our tickets right before the strike. And then we felt dumb within like three days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But had we just not known like what the panel was going, the TNG panel was going to turn out to be, uh, with those actors on strike, I think I probably would not have purchased a ticket, and I, I may have considered putting that money towards the more expensive Saturday night gala ticket instead. I think if they'd been more transparent with who was going to be starring alongside Greg Grunberg yes. and Scott Grimes, yes. I would have made that trade with you there, Tyler, because yeah. Greg Grunberg and Scott Grimes don't fill me full of joy. Whereas, you know, seeing the idea of listening to Todd Stashwick do a couple of tunes, including Sail Away. That might have swayed me more in the in the gala direction. Okay. Um, yeah, or any other highlights? Like, I, I know we've been kind of crapping on this weird, weird convention. I, I think we're just kind of explaining why it's a weird convention more mm-hmm. than just crapping on it, though. Yeah, it didn't come down to me being unhappy to be there. No, no, no. It's not just at that all. when you look back on it in retrospect, it was a very weird convention. No. And there's a couple points I, I guess we should bring up. Um, the Rat Pack, who closes out the show, uh, the convention, every year. They did their darndest to pull off their usual fun show with, you know, removing the Star Trek references from their songs. Look, it was not the classic Rat Pack show you kind of have come to expect, but I appreciate that they put in the effort. They didn't bow out of doing the show, and it was fun. Like, there was a lot of funny moments, and, um, you know, I don't know if Ethan Phillips' comedy material flies (laughs) to the greatest degree these days, but... Just seeing, you know, Jeffrey Combs and Casey Biggs and Von Armstrong and Max Grodencheck on stage goofing around was a legitimately fun way to end the convention once again. And yet again, I, I wonder what did it accomplish by saying, like, that show versus singing the words Deep Space Nine throughout. Like, yeah. it, you know, they want to abide by the rules. I, I get it. But I, I just... It, these particular rules for a convention such as this, uh, it, it, they really seem like completely arbitrary in this situation. So yeah, I don't know. That, that's my that's my um, my editorializing right there. And the other thing I was going to bring up was we actually had two very notable moments this convention, and I'll talk about one of them initially that I think really worked for me, which was we had Zachary Quinto on stage. He was one of the big guests they added closer to the convention. Um, time period. And, um, you know, we got to hear him on stage talk quite eloquently about his, you know, who he is and a bit of his career um, without going too specific in terms of his movies and TV work. But um, at a certain point, they brought out Ethan Peck. And to have the two of them together, I'm a big fan of those um, videos they put up on YouTube. I I can't remember who it is that does it. I think it's Hollywood Reporter. might be Vanity Fair. The Actors on Actors series. And to hear just Ethan Peck and uh, Zachary Quinto just talk to each other about acting, about who they are as people and how that informs their performances, I suddenly was like, this is what we should have been doing for much of this convention. Pairing up interesting talents and having them just talk to each other. And those two were so much fun. And 
just seeing the two of them on stage shaking hands, like everyone was taking photos of the big screens to get that one for, you know, for their memories. That worked like gangbusters. And then we also, this is maybe a little less successful, but we had uh, the Paul Wesley and uh, Dan Janu uh, performance. What's the pronunciation, Tyler? Dan Janote. Yeah, Dan Janote. Um, then, you know, the Sam Kirk and James T. Kirk from Strange New Worlds, they were on stage. And then they brought out William Shatner for kind of a legacy moment. I don't know that Shatner was as into it as Zachary Quinto was. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think he said something like, do you want us to do handstands or something like that? <laughs> yeah. And then they were like, no, no, just a photo, please. Yeah. But nonetheless, these kind of like legacy moments are very cool. And I do think like I would be very interested in a future once we can talk about Star Trek again freely, having more panels where you had like a legacy actor and a different actor just share screen time. Bring Gru- uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Greenwood to the Vegas con. Have him sit down with Anson Mount for an hour. I'd be down. Does Anson Mount know who he is? <laughs> I think he knows who Bruce Greenwood is. Yeah, I know. But does he? Uh, I, how much does it phase him that uh, Bruce Greenwood played him for two films? Uh, played the uh, Pike character for two films. Um, I, 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 I'll ask you this, though. Uh, do, do we have Shatner for another 20 years of these conventions? Like, this man, like, I say it every year, but this man is a bull. Like, he's just, like, he is uh, just uh, sharp as a tack. He's walking up and down stage. He, I don't know, like, like he's a storyteller. Um, not always the most engaging stories, um, but um, I don't know. To me, I, I think we're safe having Shatner for a little while, at least. I'm a third of his age, more or less. You know, I'm mid-30s, so he's in his 90s at this point. And he's more on fire than I am half the time. I mean, the entire one-hour panel of Bill Shatner was basically a marketing pitch for his several projects he has running simultaneously. That being said, it was still far more entertaining than, you know, the favorite color panel. (laughs) Well, it's like Shatner told his typical (laughs) unwieldy story that lasts about an hour it went several places. Some of them were amusing. Some weren't. Like, we've talked in the past about the various Shatner panels. Which ones worked? Which one didn't? Uh, this one, I think, fell in the middle to me in that sometimes it really was engaging. I think there was a point where the first 20 minutes or so, Scott, you turned to me and said, he's just filled 20 minutes. And it's just, like, blown by. And I think during that period, it was really clicking. It got a little... Once we were, like, recycling termite material from last year, and, it, you know, we talked about this, I believe, last year when we did our con wrap-up that Shatner told in a very extended, extended, extended anecdote about termites, and we kind of got that repeated this year, that was maybe a little too much for me. But the thing is, you know, you say this man's 93. I feel like he may outlast some of the other Kirk actors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> that's kind of offensive. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, Dan Janot and... Uh, and uh, <laughs> Paul Wesley. Sorry, no, no. Chris Pine. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, William Shatner is going to be like Bones at the in that encounter at Farpoint. Okay. Like, yeah, Shatner no. is going to be like 180 years old, still headlining that stage. Yeah. It was interesting that um, uh, the moderator, Adam Malin, uh, co-CEO of Creation, uh, he, he tried to like steer Shatner at points, uh, even you know suggesting he uh, discussed his trip into outer space. Shatner's having none of it. He's like, Shatner knew what he wanted to talk about, and he was fine to do that. And I think I've heard the Shatner space story, um, like, twice in person and at least twice on podcasts. I, I did not need to hear that a fifth time. 
No. Uh, I was very happy that he was largely telling me material I hadn't heard before. It was really only the termite stuff that I was uh, a little checked out for. Yeah. Um, folks, um, as we kind of wrap up here, uh, any special merchandise purchases that we've made here? Scott, anything uh, that kind of blew your mind? One big thing, I mean, most of my purchases were sort of the usual, you know, tchotchkes you'd get at a Star Trek convention. I think I bought a Hallmark ornament for my Christmas tree and some socks, a couple of photo ops with, you know, Terry Metalis and Marina Sirtis and Jess Bush with Cam. But the one that I think I, I'm quite proud of, and I, I was told maybe don't talk about this, but uh, hey, I didn't sign anything. Uh, I now own a screen-used part of the USS Titan and some of the carpet from the remodeled Enterprise D uh, from the team behind it. Uh, Dave, Gla uh, Dave Blass, I believe, was the name, and Liz, whose surname I'm forgetting. I should really have that name written down. But yeah, they were selling some of the sort of offcuts and bits and bits from screen use for the Titan, and they're all signed, and I now own a bit of TV history, which I think is pretty cool. I've got the Yakudas to sign it and everything as well. Yeah. I'm very well, happy. Well, what Scott's not telling you is he was buying this off a street corner uh, on the strip. Um, I really don't know about the authenticity of that, uh, Scott. I'm so sorry to uh, inform you of that. And I'm buy a, some carpet. Yeah. And it was a man dressed as Spider-Man claiming to be <laughs> yeah. one of these people that mm. created it. Yes. Um, for me, I guess, Scott, you and I did a photo op with Barbara Luna. Of course. Who, of course, is known for the episode Mirror, Mirror. Um, that was an experience. Uh, she was an infectious ball of energy, mm -hmm. and uh, there's now a photo of you and I embracing her. <laughs> That's uh, the closest I've been to you in quite some time, Cam. <laughs> we were very close, the three of us, for a few seconds. I, uh, I, I think I can still smell her on me. It was a very cozy photo op. Mm. Yes. Why would you do that to such an, uh, a senior citizen that we, you know? Like... I, she directed us. She took the lead on that one. <laughs> yeah. her, her hands took us places. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I also did a photo op with Brian Quinn from Impractical Jokers. I'm a big fan of the Tell Em Steve Dave podcast, which I've listened to since day one. So I went up and just referenced uh, a very kind of obscure joke from the first episode. And uh, he said I was the 21st ant to approach him. Ants are the term they use to refer to their fans. And so we did the ant pose for the photo. That was a lot of fun. He was probably the most like kind of personable person I met at a photo op because I also did a photo with Celia Rose Gooding. Very pleasant, but it was a very like quick, you know, sh shoot and move on kind of moment. Brian Quinn was definitely the standout there. Um, in terms of merch, I didn't buy a lot this year. It was kind of cool, though. There was a vendor selling 1984 Star Trek III Taco Bell uh, glasses. And um, I did buy a Klingon one for myself and an exploding Enterprise for my uh, for my friend's son that I will take home. Um, Tyler, I believe you got one of those as well. Well, yeah, I was the one that told you about them. <laughs> well, I, I had like to you set shared, it up there. <laughs> you, you, you shared that uh, before I got to. Um, yeah. Uh, beyond that, though, um, yeah, I collected a couple of the uh, QMX uh, uh, Deltas. You know, those are the ones with... Uh, the magnets on the back, so uh, I, I prefer those versus the ones with the pins. So I got the uh, Command Strange New World Delta. I also got the All Good Things style of the Delta, not the Picard style, but the All Good Things style. Uh, very happy with those purchases, despite the fact the All Good Things one um, fell apart within two days. So I'll be taking some super glue to that, and it'll be fine. Um, beyond that, I, I bought like uh, $30 worth of socks. I got like... Um, 
nine pairs of socks for 30 bucks, Star Trek related. Uh, you guys can see I'm uh, I'm wearing them right now, and um, all nine of them all uh, covering my feet uh, right now. And um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was happy with my purchases. I didn't go all out like I've had in previous years. I, I probably spent all in, like me, including the Todd Stashwick picture, I'd say 100 bucks this year. I think I spent quite a bit just because of photo ops and autographs. Um, because yeah, I did every person who was an original series guest star. I did a autograph with, um, this weekend. So I think that was like five Laura Banks who played, um, uh, cons navigator in star Trek two. I got her autograph, Michael Dante from Friday's child. There was a few of them. Um, but Tyler, I feel like you're burying the lead for your big purchase of the weekend. I'll give you a hint. It's mini. It's tiny. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I purchased uh, some Ferengi uh, figures and you, like the kind of the tiny, almost micro machine size uh, figures. And um, this is what, like 10 Ferengi, I suppose. And I realized after the purchase, which I mean, it was only 10 bucks, but I realized I, I think it's the only time that a Jeffrey Combs character has been turned into action figure form. And that was, of course, because Brunt was featured in this package here. So uh, it, it's kind of sucks there's no Shran figure or no Wayun figure, but I do have a, a very tiny version of Brunt now in my possession. Well, never say never. Who knows what the legacy will be going forward of Star Trek merchandising. We may see at some point a Shran figure. If they were to make a figure based on a Jeffrey Combs character, so like you've got a few to choose from, who's the first one they jump on? Uh, I would say Shran is most prominent there you know like probably not way you yeah i think that's a good call all right fellas um will you be back next year yeah uh, yeah I, I don't think it's even a question for me i i i mean star trek has been evolving there's more and more shows on the air at, i think at any point in history well i suppose now with picard ending so there's plenty to talk about and i would just like to go to a convention where i can mention star trek so uh yeah i'd, I'd like to see these people again back where they can talk about these shows some more and there's been some big things going on with strange new worlds this season and I want to hear about that. So, yeah, and of course, I'll be back with you boys. Uh, and we've agreed for some reason to go skydiving uh, together. So um, that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, Cam, uh, look, a weird convention. I assume you're coming back, though. Yeah, yeah. Not like, just to skydive. Well, this was like a novelty year, right? The Star Trek con where you can't talk about Star Trek. Next year will be the novelty of a Star Trek con where you can talk about Star Trek again. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to be there for that because, I mean, we didn't mention this, but um, at a certain point... Uh, in the con, we went up to the suite of some friends of the show. The Open Pike Night podcast had arranged with a, a, a listener of theirs to screen the musical episode of Strange New Worlds. And so, like, you know, we got to really enjoy that, and you'll hear our review of that later in the week. But the point was that, like, this aired, and the Star Trek stars couldn't talk about it. And this was a big deal. So I'm looking forward to next year hearing the... All everyone involved in all these big moments, whether it is this season of Strange New Worlds or Picard season three, just openly discussing all of this really great material. Well, excellent. So uh, with that said, we're going to uh, share our favorite colors uh, with everybody we encounter in the hallways uh, throughout the rest of the time we're here in Las Vegas. But uh, yeah, it, it is a fun year, a weird year. But uh, hey, uh, what Star Trek without being weird? That's right. Okay, so I think on that note... Our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Let us know 
If you were here, your experiences with this very strange Star Trek con, or just ask us questions about other weird things that may have happened. We'd love to field those. And of course, you can also leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts from. Those ratings and reviews are very much appreciated for rankings and whatnot. And you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V is in Voyager Panel Chaos, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P, P is in Police, gonna come arrest Robert Beltran for saying the word Star Trek Voyager, O-R-T-O-N. And you can hear from me at SpyHards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S-S, as in I need to stop touching Barbara Luna. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Me no read what that? <laughs> <laughs>